Come on, shoulders. Yes. These, these, ah, I these. love that you brought the upper body to the party. Oh, you know, I don't, didn't work out at 7 a.m. this morning to not show my Okay, arms. this is a gay podcast, so it is appreciated. I feel like I'm just titillating the target demo. You know what I mean? I mean, I'm going to tell you there, uh, when I announced that you're going to be on the show, I got some DMs from people on um, how you could wreck their asses. I just need you to know that. So Honestly, forward those DMs. So I don't know how she identifies, but there are some asses in uh, the world that are waiting to be wrecked. You know what? I identify as verse. <laughs> you know what I am? I'm I'm someone who likes to fill any and all holes metaphorically and physically. If if someone needs me to be a certain thing, I will adapt because I'm a gay kid from Florida and know how to change who I am to Garbage. Uh, respond to the Yeah, masses. yeah, you're basically just Trash. a com- trashy chameleon is uh yes. I always say I'm whatever you're not good at. <laughs> Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Tony Soto Show. I am your host, Tony Soto. Riding out solo into March. That's right. She's back again, and she's desperately alone. Happy spring, everyone. Spring has sprung. We have made it. I don't know what we made it through. I live in Los Angeles, so honestly, the short amount of weather that we've had, don't get me wrong, we did have some winter. I'm sure we had, like, I think two weeks of rain, two full weeks of rain in December uh, for Christmas. So we had, we had some shit. You know, we've had some... We had some weather, but spring is here, which means it's just going to be fucking hot. It's hot right now. It's going to be in the 80s here. And I'm telling you, I'm not ready. I'm still in the 60 degree mode, girl. She looks better layered. She looks better. Um, although I do have to say this, and I don't know if I've said this yet, but I'm a little irritated. So uh, you can follow the Tony Soto show on uh, TikTok. That's right. That's right. This Gen Xer is basically a Gen Zer. Uh, I'm on the TikTok. I'm not good at it. I don't do many things. You're not going to see any choreography. However, I do post little clips from the from the shows now that uh, we are recording them and blah, 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 sharing on the Patreon, which our Patreon is the Tony Soto Show as well. So uh, one of the, I, can't, I don't remember which, which TikTok it was, but uh, there was a comment on it and it was, dude, why so sweaty, bruh? Why so sweaty, bruh? I'm so irritated. The Kardashians have failed uh, this nation. First, people who have been on TV for as long as they have and have been like trendsetters or whatever, don't we know the importance of moisturization? Don't we know the the importance of looking wet? And, uh, you know, I, I guess we don't. I guess we don't because what you see on TikTok is not sweat. No, no, I don't sweat doing this show. This show don't make me nervous. I say whatever I want. What you're seeing is way too much serum. That's what you're seeing. You're seeing a bitch who loves a serum, who doesn't say no to a serum. I can't say no to a serum. And I won't. And I won't. You know, and the thing is, is like, you know, I um I I am friends with a lot of rich clowns from that fucking game show uh who uh can afford or have sponsorships with all these fabulous skin products or all this corrective surgeries and BBLs. I mean, I know a lot to keep up with being a 40-something drag queen in Los Angeles, California, who have a lot of rich friends because they did okay on a game show. So, you know, sweaty, bruh, get out of here, sweaty, with your sweaty. Moisturize, moist, wet, supple. Um, oh, here's some news conservatorships are back in the news. Now, I'm sure that we all remember that uh, and know that Britney Spears is now living as a free woman, spending her own money, able to get her own coffee and drive to places and be hound by the paparazzi again, I'm assuming. And, um, you know, there's, uh, there was this, there's always been this moment because the two most famous conservatorships for kids, I think, that we would know about 
would be, and maybe not even kids, I mean, people my age too, because Gen X or whatever, it would be Amanda Bynes and of course, Brittany. Now, when you think back on the two storylines, um, I think that we saw one with Brittany, and I've said this before, is uh, I don't think it was necessarily mental illness that we were seeing. I think that we were seeing uh, postpartum depression. She had popped out two kids so quickly. She was, you know, being overworked. She was in a bad relationship with the husband. What we saw with Amanda, just from the surface, I think was, you know, mental illness. I think that she had some real problems, but allegedly, and apparently she is on the mend and she is in school and she is bettering her life and she has worked on her relationship with her parents. Apparently her mother agrees that she's also doing very well with herself these days. And Amanda is currently trying to get uh, her conservatorship revoked as well. She wants to be free as well. And this is what I'm saying, you know, I, I have such an issue with the idea of conservatorships. And I think that the reason why I knew about this pre-Britney is I feel like, and you know, tell me if I'm wrong, you always do, uh, email me at the Tony Soto Show at gmail.com. Um, I believe that there was a Law and Order SVU episode prior to 2007 or eight, whenever the Britney stuff happened. Um, I could be wrong, but I feel like it's true. And I remember it being like, well, that's fucking some crooked ass shit. Ah, maybe it was after the Britney stuff. I think it was after the Britney stuff because I, I'm distinctly remembering a woman in a wheelchair being beat up by her sister or something. Ah, tragedy. But anyway, conservatorships are ultimately like crooked. Like it's like, it's like, um, we don't think you know how to spend your money. So we're going to go ahead and spend your money. And now they were trying to say, now I was watching a, a news report and they're trying to say now, uh, Amanda Bynes, uh, conservatorship was less strict when it came to, uh, like, unlike Britney's, like apparently she was able to go get coffee. She was able to take a drive. She was able to do what she wanted. Now, but what I remember during the Amanda Bynes stuff is that like, and Maxwell is the one who told me all of this information is that she has like a fake Twitter account um, where she was using that to be like, my parents are awful. Um, I'm trapped. Um, so whatever the, whatever the case, whatever the story, um, it's good news because if she is feeling better and if her mother agrees, um, then I say free Amanda Bynes. I said it as soon as they freed Britney. But here's what I do also want to say we need to free. Because here's the thing. Like, as someone who is not properly planned for retirement and getting old uh, and who's abused drugs and alcohol for a good portion of my life, dementia is right around the corner for me. It's it's just right around the corner. Let's be real. I know how to live my truth. And um, I, I think about, uh, 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 I think, Nichelle, Nichelle Nichols is Uhura from uh, from Star Trek, who is, I believe, in her 90s, uh, if not late 80s. Um, I, I'm not sure if she's uh, got dementia, but I do know that she's currently under conservatorship. And there is a lot of video of her conservator, who is her son, who seems to be, and I don't use this word uh, lightly, but an abusive faggot. I don't know. She seems a little high strung for me. This 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 son of of uh, Nichelle's. I don't know, but he seems like a gay, and he seems like a bad gay. Um, apparently, people who have worked with uh, with Nichelle in the past have tried to like come up and see her at Star Trek conventions or talk to her, and he has actively tried to keep them away. So I don't know the story there. I don't know the full story there, but I will tell you, it seems crooked and it seems like that faggot wants to spend his mama's money instead of making money on his own. And now that might be because she was probably not the most, I, look, I'm going to speculate because I'm by myself. All right. And that's all I can do. But what it seems like to me, when you see like a uh, sassy gay who's crooked, it's like, oh, you're mad at your mama. You're mad at your mama because maybe she wasn't there all the time because she was too busy being Uhura or whatever, you know, maybe she embraced her Star Trek family, but now she's a little feeble. And so you're like, oh, I'm going to spend all our money and I'm going to make her life living hell. Now, look, as someone who doesn't have the best relationship with their parents, um, 
I don't, I don't want to, uh, I don't, I, 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 I'm not looking for a revenge and making their life miserable as they're older, uh, because they didn't know how to be parents to me when I was younger. Look, we all know that there are a lot of people who should not have had babies in this world. And if that's one of your parents, you just got to fucking deal with it. But that, that, that again, um, I think the old and feeble problems that my family will, my, my parents will ultimately be, will not be mine. You know, I still have two siblings that live in my hometown, so I'm sure they'll be happy to take care of them. <laughs> oh, I doubt it. I doubt. Well, we'll see. I, I, we'll see. But here's what I am saying. If you are mad and you are solely mad because of your upbringing and now you feel like you're in a point of power, uh, and take some kind of control and some kind of jolly out of being controlled over your mom. That's weird, bro. That's weird. Okay. That's textbook weird. And you need to talk to somebody about it. I don't know who. Oh, well, we're still at war guys. And you know, I hate to say it because, uh, and I'm trying not to like talk about it too much on the Tony Sutter show, because I know that we are entertainment here and we want to keep it light and fun, but, um, Let's get that. I'll make it. I'll make it a little. Uh, uh, um, uh, what's it called? Well, I'll make it a little faggy at the beginning. Let's let's all face it. Zelensky is coming off super hot. Let me objectify Zelensky for one second. Now, this was a comedian. You know, I don't fucks with comedians because ultimately they're broken. Uh, but this uh, was a comedian turned politician. Not telling you, I'd fuck this guy. Now. I don't want to go too far into it, but Russia is messy. They are being messy right now. And, and the thing is, like, Russia's being messy. The world knows Russia's being messy. And the, Rus and the, and the world's like, okay, well, we're going to take away your money. But no one wants to go in and actually show their military might against fucking uh, Russia, who obviously has put a lot of money into their military, but not a lot of gas and gas. You know what I mean? Like fill them up. Why are these tanks fucking running out of gas in the middle of the Ukraine? But here's what I'm saying. These people, uh, um, no one is putting, no one is trying to fight this war except for the Ukrainians. And that's it. And the Ukrainians are fucking slaying boots. Like, granted, there are other countries that are sending in some uh, weapons and whatnot, which is great. But ultimately, you have old ladies making Molotov cocktails, throwing them at tanks and shit. Like, that is what a country looks like who appreciates freedom. Not these fucking mouth breather parents in these flyover states who are, like, still complaining about masks, even though mask mandates are finally coming up. Like, what do you do with these stupid people? Like, what do you do with these people who are like, who would much rather support Putin or take the time to uh, burn through gas when gas prices are so expensive to do a convoy all the way to the State of the Union address? Like, what, what kind of shit is that? When you have fucking uh, women who, uh, while they're supposed to be getting on a train to leave, have, Ukrainian women have this epiphany. They're like, oh my God, if my husband has to stay here and fight, then I'm going to stay here and fight. Like, America could never, we could never. And the thing is, is like, we want to sit here and be like, oh, we would never get involved. We don't want to get involved. We don't want to fight Russia. Honey, the last administration is the person who made this fucking thing happen, who had basically given Putin the green light to be the asshole that he is today. So don't tell me about like, uh, 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 Americans shouldn't get involved. We have an obligation to get involved. And I think that that fucking does mean to go in there. They are bombing civilians bombing civilians like take that in could you imagine like i'm like chilling at an overpriced restaurant in los Feliz, having a fucking coffee that i could have made at home uh just embracing my uh life and then all of a sudden a bomb goes off uh across the street can you put yourself there mentally like no because we don't want to try because we don't want to try because we're fat and we're lazy and we've had freedom for too long and um you know it, it's funny because uh, they want to talk about remembering 9-11 and it's like, and that could happen to us again at any moment. We don't know, but we're not ready for it. I'll tell you, we're not Ukraine ready. We're not. Um, okay, well, listen, uh, we're gonna take a quick break. When we come back, I'm very, very excited about this because there is a new hit movie that is playing on Paramount Plus right now called Three Months. 
and uh, it stars Troy Savon, and it is a look at uh, HIV through the queer lens um, post nineties. Uh, you know, like when the meds started coming out and the tests started becoming a little uh, quicker. Uh, we have the writer and director of Three Months. We have Jared Frieder. We'll be right back. Tony Soto Show. And we are back with the show. Now, listeners, I make no secret. I am an unapologetically HIV positive, undetectable man living in Los Angeles in my 40s. And uh, I also uh, got HIV in my 30s. So uh, it, it's, it's interesting having to like, you know, navigate those waters uh, coming from the 90s and seeing the AIDS epidemic the way it was in the 80s and the 90s. Um, and then seeing a full circle moment with medications and uh, letting people know representation. And there's a new movie out a new movie available on Paramount Plus called Three Months. And we have the writer and the director of said movie, Jared Frieder. Hi, Jared. Uh, what a dream to be here with the greatest queen Silver Lake has ever known. I mean, <laughs> I, I, I have adored you since I met you. And this is, I'm, tr what a privilege. What oh, a privilege. Oh, I, first of all, I don't know how, why we haven't had you on sooner than this, because you are literally something that I talk about regularly which is a queer person in writing rooms i feel like now how long have you been a television writer gosh i think i got my first job working in my first room as an assistant in 2015 and then i busted my ass and they loved me and they let me write an episode of the show so it's been like seven years but i've been hustling for like a decade now it takes as you know it takes 10 years to become an overnight success as um <laughs> my father loves to remind me. Um, so it's been, it's been, you know, a little bit uh, trying at times, but, you know, welcome to being gay in Hollywood. Not easy. Like, do you find that uh, in those 10 years that you saw homophobia in the writer's room? Like, was that something that you encountered or maybe they didn't take your ideas uh, as much as they should have because of you being an out gay person? You know what it is? So I I staffed a couple times, which means I wrote for other people's television shows. Show called Chasing Life on ABC. Chilled, show called Sweet Vicious on MTV. And then I started to sell my own shows to network. I've so sold like six pilots, right? And it's this weird thing where like, of course I write queer protagonists all the time. It's my favorite thing to write um, as a certified homosexual myself. <laughs> and, um, all the people who like buy the shows, the lower level creative executives in Hollywood are so progressive. They want new stories. They want diverse stories. They want to be inclusive. And so then they buy the show from you to develop. But then the people who have to green light it to a series, which is like a couple hundred thousand dollars versus millions and millions and millions of dollars are these old white straight dinosaurs who like love car crashes and bikinis. And I, I always am told no at that juncture um, mm. because it is just impossible to get queer shit made. So the fact that I was able to make this film, I, I'm still like in disbelief. It's still a little bit surreal. Um, and I'm also just like grateful that it finally happened, but, uh, we've come a long way, but have so far to go when it comes to queers telling their own stories in this fucked up crazy biz. I mean, very true. And the thing is, is like, I, what I'm loving right now, Jared is like, now I've done some research. I've watched some of your press junket and whatnot. This is the most skin you've shown. That gold chain is uh, slamming and she's smoking weed. This is what happens when you talk to gay podcasts where you can be your own damn self. Um, <laughs> I said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to give the children everything they want. That's, I'm going to have cold brew, a joint, a tank top. What are we, market days? Market yeah. days on a pod? I mean, I mean, LA living, it's 80 degrees mm -hmm. outside. You're gonna go outside and you're gonna, you know, maybe maybe get on sniffies after this. We don't know how oh. it goes. You know, I've never used sniffies, but- Sniffy, I'm telling you, time. I'm telling you, the kind of slut I wanna be on sniffies is something like, except for like, I just, I'm assuming they're all on drugs. Even when they say they're not, I just assume they are because I think it's like, I'm still, a little slut phobic, but I'll tell you, 
Snippies, if sans meth, would be very, very hot. Um, I, I have to say, in terms of pod, uh, not pod names, but like app names, Snippies is like the peacock of gay apps where I'm like, the name itself doesn't Didn't get it, make right? me want to partake. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I, I, I would love to know, uh, the, I, I, honestly, I think that maybe Meatball uh, interviewed them, but I'd love to know the people of Sniffies and be like, what was the name choice? Why? Yeah, um, yeah. So now we're talking about being queer, openly queer. You're now, you made your own film three months now. Uh, queers are playing queers. Is this something that like, well, first of all, it's great for us. It's great to see. It's refreshing because it's like, oh, I get it. That guy actually has kissed another dude in his life and has been mm-hmm. weird. Like, like, how do you feel about uh, the, why is that so important? Queers playing queers. You know, for me, it's all about like opportunities, you know, like until there's a equality and opportunities for queer actors and straight actors, you know, where, you know, some, you know, Ben Platt can play some macho, whatever character that he wants to play. I feel like we have to, uplift queer actors and give them roles so that they can build careers and get to the place where they mean something for a box office, they mean something for a television show. Because I find that that's often the reason why um, people like in positions of power don't cast queer actors because they're like, well, we need someone with box office mojo. And it's sort of like, well, we never give them the roles to, to build a platform of a career to get to the place where they are that. So like, it sort of starts at the bottom you know what I mean and um it's important you know like Javier Munoz who's in this and and Troy and um even Brienne it's just like to work with people who like identify as queer in some capacity was like truly um a privilege to be able to do um now you'd said in uh past interviews that uh you want to make queer movies that you wished were available to you what do you mean by that like uh all the sad sad cry cry aids movies weren't really uplifting is that (laughs) what you're saying (laughs) i mean well you know like when i was when i was younger and like trying to figure out who i was like in my little bedroom on my like tiny tv that was a handy down i like all i could find was like will and grace and noah's ark which i stand um like so hardcore um like i feel like noah's ark especially was like the first time i remember being like sexually aroused by men on a television screen and i was like what is this why is there not more of this and of course there's like um you know, like Philadelphia and like AIDS movies or like Angels in America and theater and and like Rent. And um, there were those types of movies, but I just wish there were some more that like really captured what it was to be a queer young person finding themselves and figuring themselves out. Um, And my, in my youth, it was Boys Don't Cry. Like that was a, that was a gay movie that came out. uh, And I, I think that like, there was a there was a generation of terror when it came yes. behind uh, queer people and queer storylines in movies. Like there's that whole great documentary about the villain, the gay villain. You know what I yeah. mean? Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. They did that in that uh the um what's that the the trans documentary on Netflix? What was that called? They did a great segment on that. I'm forgetting oh, what it is. Yeah, yeah. I, there's so much actually real good queer shit to watch on Netflix right now. Oh it's yeah. Like, oh yeah. But but um. But so like, it's interesting because it's either, it's either trauma, um, it's sadness, it's extremely slutty behavior. Like, so what are some stories that you're looking at stories, just like regular stories, right? Mm -hmm. Like, like what you would see in regular movies with straight people, correct? Yeah. And like, for me, it's also like, it's important to take those films in the context that they're in, right? Like the nineties in terms of like rights for us and where we were with um, HIV, but also just like hate crimes and um, prejudice. Like, of course those movies are gonna be dark. Of course those stories are gonna be told because like art reflect, reflects life. And sadly that was the experience at that time, but we've come a long way. And now I think it's just time for more stories and stories that are hopeful and joyful and um, promise a brighter and better future. And, you know, that's, it is interesting because some people, this isn't a, a future, this, like a, a future, future in general, like, right. Absolutely. Like, like not just a brighter one. The fact that you can have a future yes. is, is something that, you know, cause, cause yeah, I, cause I think about um, 
the people in the flyovers, you know, the gays mm-hmm. that stay, you know, like I think about them. I think I think about their stories because their stories are different than our stories when it, when it comes down to it, because it's so true. I have a lesbian sister who has never left my hometown and I don't think she ever does. And I don't even know mm-hmm. what she's interested in, but we're mm-hmm. both queers and we both have connection with that. But I ran to the blues, you know, the blue area. She stayed. So it's like- It's so interesting. So not all of our stories are the same and it's not always a run to the big city for the gays, right? Like, Well, it's so interesting that you bring that up. The, the, the thing that I want to say about that is there was an actress who I cannot name who almost was in the film. And um, something that she said to me was, you know, do we need these stories? Like, isn't it just like, you know, she's like very um, from LA, born in LA, raised in LA, yeah. uh, will probably die here. And she's like, haven't we surpassed this? Do we need to, you know, tell this story of like, you know, being gay is difficult, but you're going to be okay because all gays are okay. And I, what I try to explain to this person is like, you are in a bubble. You're like living in a amazing bubble, but it's a bubble. And unfortunately, something that happened in my trashy home state of Florida in the past couple of weeks is this don't say gay bill where yeah. kids in public schools, you know, I was went into the public school system, which was like a train wreck then. And it's obviously still now, but you know, now you, 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 if someone says gay in, in a school classroom, a parent of a kid in that class can sue the teacher or the student that said it. And it's like, we have so, so far to go. Um, and so to provide hopeful stories for kids who are still in those towns, in those states that say, hey, listen, just keep going. You know, you're not alone. Keep yeah. going. Um, well, because and the- I, I look at I look at the and I don't mean to interrupt you, but like no, on, no, on, in three months, I don't look at Caleb, the character Caleb played by Troy Sivan. I don't look at that person and think oh, he could make it out of there because I also look at it like he might not make it out of there. You know what I mean? And I, and, and I like that because I don't know in this kind of problematic time where, and I'm guilty of this being a 40 year old gay who ran to Chicago the moment she could. Um, I, I, the, the, the representation and the fact that queer people do stay mm. where they're from, I think is important. And I think more should stay because, uh, uh, we're weak over here in our bubbles. We have no strength in our bubbles. Our bubbles are going to stay our bubbles, but that's not 100%. where the fight is. Um, you know what I, you know what I mean? I completely agree. The fight is not in the bubble, and that's why, like you know, I'm from Florida. The story takes place in Florida. It was very important for me to shoot in Florida because you know to bring awareness and to bring a, a queer project and queer revenue into a state that is trying to legislate homophobia was something that was important to me for the reason yeah. that you just said. You know what I mean? Like. Yeah. Um, but it's hard. And we were filming there. So we filmed there in October of 2020. So it was like in the thick of it. Well, they let you. They let you. I'm sure they were very happy to have your uh, your film shooting because Florida never shut down. <laughs> Squirrel, girl, it was it was a couple weeks before the election. And so we did our interiors in Atlanta. If people listening know, Georgia has an amazing tax break for production. It's why all your, all your favorite Marvel movies, if you watch that or any movie, they they shoot in Georgia. So we did interiors there. And when I got to Atlanta, it was like Biden signs forever. It was a sea of blue. And when everyone was like, which way will Georgia go? Cause it's one of those, you know, on the line states. I'm like, I have a good feeling about Georgia. And then we went to shoot in Miami and we went to an Orthodox Jewish neighborhood and every fucking lawn had a Trump sign. Wild. And Florida's another, Florida's another state that's always like, you never know which way I was going to go. But an and Orthodox friend, Jewish neighborhood, that's wild to me. It's just wild. That, that... It's because of Israel. Yeah, well, it always seems to, I mean, it, roads always lead back. And that's why the Christians want it safe because they, <laughs> they want their apocalyptic story to have a correct ending. It's um, true. It's fucking it's true. ridiculous. Now, it's, speaking about COVID, though, this was mm-hmm. a pre-COVID baby, though, because like you shared this script with me um, years ago, the end of two, like something in 2019, correct? I feel like I think it was 2018 or 2019. I mean, I wrote it at for the first time in 2014, but it was definitely a couple of years before we started. Right, right, right. And I remember getting the script and reading it and being like, this is this is this is good. This is this is this is important. Um, and I don't like a lot of things. And you know that. I so know. I'm that. very flattered. Yeah, you know, I'm not someone to be blowing smoke up 
uh, butts because I don't care to. Um, but like, but ultimately, you started shooting during COVID. Did you think this was going to happen? Was there a moment where you thought, okay, well, we're going to scrap this for a few years? Yeah. So we went into production on March third, twenty twenty. If you remember what happened wow. just after that, weeks so- before, like literally two weeks before. Two weeks before, we shot two weeks and we shut down. I remember, so Judy Greer is in the film. She plays an amazing, <sighs> tiny comedic Love role. Judy Greer. We stand her. She is the coolest, funniest, so dropped in, such an artist. I was like, oh, you are the best at what you do. I, I have only the best things to say about her. But luckily, she like fell in love with the script, did this bit part, came in as the world was crashing down. And she was like, you know, like my reps told me that like this might be a bad idea some friends were like don't go but I came because I didn't want to leave this tiny queer indie high and dry and luckily we were able to shoot her out but like it was it was insane we were shut down for seven months I never knew if we were going to come back yeah ever 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 and it's sort of like it was everyone's like wasn't that terrible and I'm like it was but at the time like so many more things were superseding the anxiety of the movie coming back like you know was my family going to be safe and healthy they're in Florida they weren't doing anything for it in Florida. I was like nervous. We were all nervous about like what was going on. So the movie took a back seat. But then a couple months into the pandemic is when it started to sink in. That was like, I may never get to finish something I've worked on for 10 years. Yeah. And that was really hard. That was oh, really hard. My God. So you set the movie in 2011. Yes. Um, uh, now, as a younger gay man, uh, you are a millennial. Are you a millennial? Are you a geriatric millennial? Are you one of the... I don't I think I'm like, I'm like deeply mid-millennial. Mid-millennial. So like you're, uh, so describe your relationship to HIV AIDS um, to me. Cause I, I'm from, I experienced, you know, the, the eighties and nineties, uh, the, the connection with the real world's Pedro Zamora. Like when did that show air that season? 94. So 94, I was in high school, um, yeah. uh, maybe junior high, maybe going into high school. Mm-hmm. Um, and as a gay youth, that story really fucking hit home for me. That was a pivotal, Pedro Zamora is very pivotal for my bringing up and understanding of HIV. But what was your relationship to the epidemic? You know, it's really interesting because again, in the Florida school system, you definitely learn one particular take on what HIV is, which is very death and pestilence. And it's sort of rooted in a lot of shame. And even when I was like learning this stuff, which was like, yes, when it was bad, but also like late high school, like 2008, it was that same narrative, even though the reality of living with it had changed. And I had to do a lot of unlearning when I got to college and I could educate myself. And I got out of Florida where I was like, oh, no, 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 no. It's, you can live forever now with it. You can do all of these amazing things. But what I learned mostly was the deeply homophobic context of that epidemic when it like broke out in the 80s and 90s and how the government and sort of the world failed queer people by demonizing the disease and the people that had it and how we still haven't really shaken that off. And one of the things I wanted to do with this film is create conversations and dialogues about the realities of living with it, which is when you have access to healthcare, um, it's no longer an issue in the same way that it was. And it trying to shake off the stigma was like a big reason why I wanted to tell this story because I had to educate myself and do it for myself. And I was like, if I'm a smart person, if I had to do this for me, imagine what like other kids in these school systems that aren't giving you a queer curriculum to understand what the culture is like, what the realities are like. I wanted to help them out and not only educate them, but also allow them to have a hopeful, fun, good time while doing it. I didn't want it to be pedantic. I didn't want it to be after school special PSA. I wanted it to be engaging and fun. So that's what I set out to do. Well, listen, let's take a quick break. We're gonna come back. We're gonna actually talk about the film a little bit. And uh, I have notes. No, I'm kidding. We'll be right back. <laughs> Tony Soto Show. All right, we are back with the show. We're talking to Jared Frieder, the writer, director. Is this your director, director, directorial debut? You know what it is. <gasps> Well, first, what was that like? Because like you, you're you're not an actor either, right? It's you you didn't have a moment of acting, so like you went from writing straight into directing. What was that? Was that terrifying? 
Yeah, I mean, as we just said during the break, I, you know, I, I know Tony Soto because I've learned the words, bitch, my favorite night in the entire world, in the entire universe, anywhere. And like, I'm always going, but I will never perform because I have terrible stage fright. Um, and I'm always so um, impressed by everyone who like gets on there and does like the trashiest lip sync while eating fried chicken to a Dolly Parton song. I'm like, this is the stuff that dreams are made of. But um, uh, I was terrified. I, I honestly was terrified because I'm a conflict averse person. I as a scared little gay boy, again, from Miami, like a conflict was scary because it could have been actually dangerous for me. Uh. Um, and so I just wasn't into it. And then, you know, working with Troy Sivan or like Academy Award winner, Ellen Burstyn, who plays his grandmother in this, like it was really intimidating, but everyone was so kind. And, you know, I learned something that's very, very, very interesting. And I've mentioned this before, but like, when you think of a director, you think of someone bossing you around, someone confident who knows everything and is doing everything, like a one-man marching band. Yeah. And that's not what it is. It's like directing is making decisions, hiring the right people, people who are smarter than you at whatever their job is and trusting their um, creative vision and making sure it aligns with yours and listening. Like such a big part of directing is listening to your actors, listening to your crew, to your department heads and making them feel seen and heard. And that's how you get the best work out of everyone. And I'm a really good listener. So it was scary. You really are. Like you, like, and the thing is, is like you are the eye contact. Like you, you are, it's not that when I talk to you, I feel heard. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, and that's the thing. It's like, it's like, well, it's because like, First of all, you're really interesting. So I like listening to you. Like it makes it easy, but like, I'm just someone who likes to learn. I like to meet new people. I like to sort of experience things outside of my own point of view and so in someone else's shoes. And that starts with like listening. And I really feel like people, especially white men, especially like I'm gonna say it, white gay men could do a lot more listening and maybe a little less talking yeah yeah yeah. but let's talk about okay so you're not a big budget movie this was not a big did, did, did you did you put a lot of your own in into this none, project zero not of your own good for you none. oh good none. for you um but like you landed uh i mean we mentioned the cast we have troy savon we have alan burstein we have judy uh greer you got fucking uh lewis gossick jr um, how did you land such, uh, and first of all, I did not know who, uh, I'm sorry, is it, is it Vivek? Vivek. Vivek. I did not know who he was. I do remember the, uh, Bruce Springsteen movie. I do yes. remember it. Like, yes. I remember it being like, this movie's going to be here, but I never saw it. Yeah. Um, so cute, but totally my type. Um, so cute. but like Brienne, like, how did you get this cast? How did you get the soundtrack? Like what, what, what happened here? Isn't that crazy? I mean, I think the, the, the main thing with the cast is like, I had amazing producers who like my producers of this film did Up in the Air and Juno and Jennifer's Body. So like they could get reads from people. So much of get casting is access and getting someone to actually sit down and read the script. I would say that is the biggest hurdle. Um, and so they had the access, you know, MTV Studios and Paramount have the money and I'm so grateful to them for taking a chance on this. But, um, you know, Troy read the script and like connected, like it, it had always been Troy. You know, I tried to make this as a movie in 2015, then a TV show in 2017, and then finally as a movie in 2022, 2021, 2020. And um, it has always been Troy. We were just never able to get him the script. And he read the script and he fell in love with the character. And he's like a nice Jewish boy who is like, you know, he's got this dreamy pop star vibe and you would never assume that he's like a girl who could be chatting about like Oscar winners at Akbar on a Saturday night, but that's who he is. He's a Judy, you know what I mean? Like yeah. he gets it. Yeah, um, he's great. He, like he's yeah. he's super great. And, and I was like, oh my God, will this boy be believable? And... Uh, I believed it. Like what, what yeah. I believe the most and what I think is like something that I did not have as a gay youth was a lesbian BFF. The relationship between um, Caleb and Dara, if you have, if you had a girlfriend, like if you had a good girlfriend when you were growing up, this relationship uh is so relatable like it's mm -hmm. it's it, it, i i can see 
like literally the woman who is now the mother of my child mm-hmm. uh, is the girl who I used to get fucked up with like crazy mm-hmm. uh, growing up. A lot of these stories were are from your life. Do you have a best, did you have a good girlfriend, a good lesbian, Judy? I do. She's my best friend in the whole world. Her name's Liz. She's come to learn the words bitch a bunch of times. And, you know, it's this thing where like, I think that gay men and lesbian friendships get a bad rap sometimes because everyone's like those two communities like don't like each other. Meanwhile, like like cats and dog stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Truly, you know, there's all all those jokes on Modern Family that were actually very, very funny jokes. So I don't, I don't take them down at all. But like, where like they don't get along. But like, lest we forget, like lesbians were the ones do a lot of the time taking care of gay men who had AIDS and HIV during the height of the epidemic. You know, like. They were some of our saviors and our heroes. And I feel like we don't talk about that element enough, but um, I wanted this movie to be honest and to reflect my life. And I just like wrote me and my lesbian best friend who, you know, it was hard for us to find someone in Florida who was gay, who could be a partner. And so we got our emotional, I mean, I met her in LA, but like, even when I was here in LA, I would get my emotional needs met from her and she from me. And it's like, at a certain point, that's amazing. But then at a certain point, it felt like it wasn't enough. And like the emotional complexities of that relationship, um, you know, it just felt really interesting to me and was a cornerstone to my life. So I wanted to show it in the film. Um, so since you're taking pieces from your life and you put it into this movie, um, the, uh, the, oh no, am I pregnant condom break? Is that something that happened to you? Cause I'll tell you a lot of the people I know whose backstories uh, was because uh, we didn't have condoms. <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny. Um, that is exactly what happened to me. But when I was doing the TV show version of the film and I had to expand it beyond the three months and I had to do this entire huge story. One of the twists was he said that the condom broke and then the reveal was that there was no condom and he was just too ashamed at first to say it. So that was something I was toying with and playing with, but it didn't end up being the version of the story that made it to screen. But yeah, I mean, it's based on a real life experience that I had when I was graduating college. And, um, and it's, it's like every gay man knows what it's like to wait for HIV results or medical results in general, like any STI. And I was like, man, are the straights gonna get it? Like, are they gonna understand these tests and what testing windows are and yeah. how you have to wait for it to show up a certain amount and there are different tests you can do and then COVID happens. And yeah. now all of a sudden our entire vernacular around the globe is, no, you have to wait. Know your status. Like, like you have straight people being like, do you know your status? It's like, yes. It's like, yes, it's and like also, fuck like, you, do you? But also, they're, they're like, on Saturday night, I was with someone who tested positive for COVID, but I can't take a test until Wednesday because it might not show up before then. And it's like all the stuff that our community had been used to because it became a part of our culture. Yeah. Yeah. They sort of are feeling it in a new and different way. Yeah. And um, that was a surprise. It's funny because I remember waiting for years and years getting tested because I've been getting tested ever since I've been sexually active as a teenager. Um, and having to wait for uh, my ultimately my negative results, and then when I did test positive, I found out in uh, in three minutes <laughs> on in a fucking bus on Santa Monica. So it's like, so we've come a long way, baby. We've come a long way, truly. And we're and it's still changing. And it's like that's also why I started the movie in 2011 because I wanted it to be accurate to like the medical stuff that we were talking about. Yeah. Um, because it's changing all the time now. It feels like it's changing every day. Yeah. Um, I also wanted to capture my youth because 2011, you know, my glory days. You looked your best. You looked. I your, did. You looked your. You looked your best. You looked hungry. I'm sure. Oh uh, my god. <laughs> now, Funny. I think that uh, mainstream uh, still wants to see us uh, sad. Uh, they want to see queer stories that are traumatizing. Like, um, and I do not want to take away the importance of the tragedy of the AIDS epidemic. Uh, because like, like we talked before, like, I think as an HIV positive man who, uh, was diagnosed, um, um, at the height of great, I, I, I've never been sick as a result. I never will mm. be sick as a result. I'm undetectable. As far as I know, I've not been detectable. So it's like, um, we can't forget what 
happened and mm-hmm. what was overlooked for so long. Like, that's why I think it's important to see that, like that show, like it's a sin. I think that mm-hmm. that's important, but um, you want joyful stories. Do you think that the mainstream wants it though? Are they ready know. to see us as just regular old rubes, like not just sidekicks and shit like that? Are they ready to see? I don't know that they know what they want is my answer to that question. And why do we care about them? Because you know who we're talking about? We're talking about the flyovers. Like literally yes. that is still what drives Hollywood. So it's so funny how uh, uh, the flyovers think that Hollywood is so satanic and evil and and want nothing but the worst when really uh, Hollywood is them. looking at them being like, oh, what, 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 what do they want? What do the fucking uh, steak and potato people want? I think it's a couple things. I think that, first of all, we like to pretend that we're artists, and we are, and we're in this business of entertainment, but it is just that, it's business, and it revolves around the dollar. So, of course, we have to appeal to the mainstream, because that's how you get shit made, you need the money. So, that's challenging, but again, I feel like because they've only, I shouldn't say that, because for most, the most part, they've been given certain types of stories with queer characters. That's what they're used to. That's what they're comfortable with. That I think it's just going to take a couple or multiple stories that are slightly different, that are hopeful, that see us as people who have um, more than the experiences that they're used to seeing on a screen. Yeah. Before that, they're comfortable. Before they get like comfortable and realize that that's what they want. I do think that that is what they want. I just don't think that they know it yet um i mean i think of it like in terms of like you know uh people of color i mean like let's face it the 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 slave movies i'm sure that people uh black people are so tired (laughs) of 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 like knowing that that is important stories that need to be told but also it's like that's not our only story (laughs) you know 100 and you're seeing that more now but the other thing too right is like you get different perspectives of a lived experience and important ones when you allow those people of that experience to make their own shit. So now that we have more doors opening, still not enough doors, but more doors for, you know, black creators and queer creators, we're getting different types of stories because it's not the same straight white men trying to tell the narrative of someone else's experience. I recognize Um, when there's a gay person on a show. I do, you know, uh, or, or a woman, like I just, I just know, like, I think, to, and I've said this a few times, I think that one of the uh, best written shows right now is the Save by the Bell reboot, mm-hmm. um, because it is obviously riddled with faggots uh, mm-hmm. with, within the whole thing, but it's, the comedy is in such a way that, like, I'm like, oh, I can see middle America laughing at that. you know, like, yes. they might not get it 100, but it might lead them to a Google search, you know? Yes. Shout out to my good Judy Krishliker, who's an attendee of Learn the Words, bitch, who is a homosexual. Who, who should put this show. drag queen on Say by the Bell reboot. If yes. you need a drag queen on the Say by the Bell reboot, I'm telling you, I want to be Chris. on that show. Chris, it is are you listening? so are you listening? smart. First, and I also love Sam Pancake, uh, who uh, oh, plays the teacher. Yeah, he plays like the theater teacher, who, yes. I, who I super love. I love and, Sam. I mean, I was a big fan. I could I could talk about it forever. Yes, hire me. I'm available. Um, Jared, I am so proud of you. I really you, am. Doll. I I have known you for a long time, and I just appreciate you and your energy. And I'm so grateful that this story was brought to life because I know it was so important to you. So. Thank you. I hope it makes a bunch of successful future endeavors. Like, I hope that like more stories can be told from your perspective. Again, from your lips, baby. I hope that this is just the beginning. And so far it feels that way. We've gotten such a great reception. We were a New York Times critics pick last week, which is sort of the craziest thing that's ever happened to me. So hopefully it allows me to tell more stories and other people to tell more gay stories. Cause that's always the goal, you know, open doors. Absolutely. Let it be kick doors open you know yes, kick, them, kick, open. Them, kick them, them open the house down or whatever yes. kids say boots um well listeners if you have paramount plus um and if you don't have paramount plus they have a seven week uh or seven day free trial go and sign up and check out three months the cast is so good the characters are so relatable it's it's 
it's weird in point at points it's awkward at points i'm sorry but i rooted for uh uh for the brown boy um because Me i too. because my thing was and like now now i i understand we have to kind of dislike him at the end uh what it'll i'm not, I'm not gonna spoil anything but like he doesn't get the best edit um but <laughs> Also, how dare you just ride your bike to my house? You know my family is a, a certain way. How dare oh, you? By so, the way, I'm obsessed with the character of Esta played by Vivek, and I do not think he's the villain of the story. I think that Caleb fucks up a little bit. I think Esta fucks up a little bit, and I think they're kids just trying to figure their lives out. Yeah, but Caleb's and, very white about it. Like Caleb's very white about it. And I was he like, is. like the moment, the moment that I would have been like, I'm sorry, I'm Indian, and my so are my parents. Then you need to just don't you dare come to my house on your tandem. Scurry away, little boy. <laughs> no, I completely agree. That said. I would watch them fuck. You know what I mean? I would totally watch them fuck. So uh, maybe in the sequel. Yeah, tune in. Um, uh, Jared, tell people where they could find you on social medias. I am at Jared Frieder on both Instagram and Twitter. So come find me there. I uh, am starting to post more thought pics. So um, enjoy. Yes, yes, she's she's working out. I'm telling you, I am. I'm I'm looking at this chest, and I'm just like, gal, you, honey. She's trying. She's trying to undo the damage that sitting inside getting high during COVID and eating donuts did to her body. Maybe I'll do that sometime soon too. We'll see. We'll <laughs> see. Jury's still out. Um, uh, listeners, if you like the Tony Sutter show, then please find our iTunes page, subscribe to it, rate the show, leave a comment. It really does help. It moves us a little further to the top if you take the time just to do it. Also, if you like the Gay Power Half Hour, that's a podcast that I do with uh, my good Judy Casey Lai. You can find it anywhere podcasts or streams. So be looking out for that. I am so excited, guys. Um, because next week I am doing a one-on-one -on -one with um, one of my favorite actresses from uh, one of my favorite soap operas that no longer exists anymore. From One Life to Live, she played the part of Roxy. I have Eileen Kristen on the show next week. We're going to talk all about her working on soap operas and of course her fucking very long career as an actress in new york so i'm very very excited for that i'm the tony star show on literally everything that is instagram twitter and venmo and uh see you next week bye